Most users, like me, are content to snap photos on their iPhone, but for those with a more discerning eye, Apple's introduction of the ProRAW image format is a godsend. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me to talk about this big advancement is senior reporter and shutterbug Stephen Shanklin. Welcome, Shank. Hi there. Good morning. So for those of us who aren't aspiring photographers, can you just give us a quick rundown of what ProRAW is and, and why it's so important? You bet. So first of all, I'll start this off by saying if you're happy with the images that your phone produces, you don't need to use ProRAW. But if you want to go farther, ProRAW opens up a lot of flexibility. So for years, people who have digital SLRs have shot with what's called a RAW format, which is basically unprocessed data from the image sensor. And that gives you a lot more flexibility if you want to adjust exposure or color. Now, the basic problem with smartphone photography is the smartphones have these tiny little sensors and the, the raw photos have been really just pretty crummy. But here's the cool thing. With ProRAW, Apple applies all of its computational photography magic that it would ordinarily use to generate a JPEG, but it puts that into a RAW file. So basically, what you get is all the flexibility of RAW plus all the computing smarts of a smartphone camera. So you get uh, uh, kind of the best of both worlds. It's not for everybody, but if you're a photography enthusiast, it is great. And you know, you've been a longtime fan of the Pixel when it comes to smartphone photography. What about ProRAW puts Apple over the top now? Because your headline basically says you're, you know, this is has convinced you to make the switch full time to iPhone for at least for camera photography use. Yeah. So two years ago, a little more, two and a half years ago, Google actually pioneered the technology called computational RAW that is now built into Apple's ProRAW. So I give Google big props for pioneering that technology, and it was really, honestly, the biggest reason I would reach for my Pixel phone instead of uh, my iPhone. I have one of each for various professional reasons. So, uh, the the Pixel was my go-to camera. But two things happened in 2020. The first thing is that Apple introduced ProRAW, which made the iPhone much more useful. And the second is that Google, in the middle of a pandemic year, dialed back its photography ambitions. So it had really good uh, cameras and it had sort of a flagship phone approach with its Pixel phones. But in 2020 with the Pixel 5, it released what's basically a mid-range phone. And it has an ultra-wide camera and a wide-angle camera. And those are great. They're fine. They work well. But then the Apple iPhone 12 Pro also has a telephoto camera. And so it's got these three cameras, and that's really important to me. So the combination of ProRAW image format and the telephoto uh, focal length camera is really important. That's why I switched. Yeah, you make a good point that in a year where it seemed like Apple kind of stepped up the camera capabilities, Google took a step back. Now, with the Pixel 5, I know the the, the biggest innovation, quote-unquote innovation, was basically packing in more features at a, a more affordable price. But can you talk a little bit about that, the sort of the, the retreating of Google's photography ambitions and maybe why that is? Was it, was it largely just to keep the price down or, or tamp down? Or you know, is this sort of a longer-term retreat of Google's photography uh, strategy ambitions? It's not yet clear if that was a blip or if it's the new normal. So it was you know, a pretty tough year in 2020, lots of disruptions. And I suspect some of those disruptions hit Google's own ambitions, certainly. 
a lot of people had difficulty with their supply chain and getting everything they needed from one country to another, getting it all manufactured, packaged, shipped. So there could have been logistical reasons that Apple, excuse me, that Google wanted a simpler uh, mid-range phone lineup. It also could be just that it judged, you know, a lot of people were out of work. A lot of people were experiencing a huge amount of uncertainty. They didn't necessarily want to spring 1200 bucks or a thousand bucks for a phone. So they decided, you know, a, a mid-range phone was more practical uh, in 2020. Now, Apple obviously has more iPhones to pick from. It's got cheaper ones and it's got the iPhone 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max, which are pretty expensive. And those are the ones I like. Now, if you are willing to pay for it, that's great. If you don't have 1100 bucks or whatever to spend on a top-end Apple phone, then the Google Pixel's a pretty good model. Now, what I still don't know is where Google is going to go in the future. They could certainly try to be a flagship Android phone maker again with three cameras or four cameras or, or whatever. But, you know, those Pixel phones really haven't done a huge business in terms of high volume. They've had much more success at the lower end with, the, like, for example, the Pixel 4a, the Pixel 3a. Those are the later, cheaper, mid-range models that came out. So it might be that Google is thinking its sweet spot is is in the mid-range and it'll leave the high end to companies like Samsung that are willing to sell a very premium flagship device with lots of cameras. That is a bit of a shame though, because it seemed like for a while Google was really leading the charge on things like computation photography, like camera quality, and be able to pack in more technology, more capabilities into fewer lenses than say some of its competitors. So I feel like that that's a lost opp- missed opportunity if Google pulls back from this and focuses on making on affordability on only affordability as the the sort of the main selling point of its devices. Yeah, it's a shame for me. I'm a photography enthusiast. Now, it's great if you're a, you know, in the market for a mid-range phone because you do get a whole lot of uh, Google's computational photography smarts showing up in a mid-range phone. So that's great. But if you're somebody like me who wants more out of your smartphone photography, it's yeah, it's a bummer because it means that you know, it's kind of an option that's off the table for you. All that Google Smarts uh, just doesn't it doesn't sell as well if you don't have that telephoto camera. So uh, it's it's a bummer from where I sit. And uh, you know, Apple kind of just moved right in there and said, "Oh, we'll take up that uh, position if uh, Google's giving it away." Now, if you've never used the the raw photo format, you're not a professional photographer. How do you get started? How can you take advantage of Apple's Pro Raw format? Or is it one of those situations where like you should probably just stay away because it's going to be overly complicated? Like what what would be your advice to folks like that? Well, it's actually it's not too hard to take advantage of. So you you do have to enable it in the settings. So Apple by default doesn't even let you shoot. Once you enable it in settings, there's a little switch on the screen that says raw and you can tap on it to make it shoot raw or not raw, the JPEG or HEIC image that an iPhone will take otherwise. So you can switch back and forth pretty easily. Once you do it, you take a photo, you can mostly treat it the way you treat a regular JPEG or HEIC photo. You can still share it to Facebook or Twitter or email it to your friends or whatever, and the iPhone will convert it to a more portable format like JPEG. What the uh, fun, Where the fun comes is if you want to edit it, you might be somebody like me. I use uh, Adobe's Lightroom software for my editing and cataloging, but you can do it in just the regular Apple Photos app or in Google Photos. It's not uh, it's not a proprietary 
crazy format you have to go way off the beaten track for. No, you just kind of just use your standard editing software if you want to edit it. So it's 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 not that hard. But that said, if you want to get the most out of it, you do have to edit it. And a lot of people just can't be bothered. They don't have the time. They don't have the energy. They don't have the interests. And, you know, for those folks, JPEG is fine. And just generally, seeing as you are a camera expert, uh, for our listeners out there, do you have any sort of simple tricks or advice on how to get the most out of a smartphone camera? Well, there are a couple basic tips. The, 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 the first one is, is, is kind of surprising, but I find it really useful, which is to try to set the exposure right. And it's so easy. You point your camera, whatever you're taking a picture of, and you tap the thing that you want to be the subject of the photo. It's somebody's face, usually. And smartphones these days do a pretty good job of finding faces. So that's not as tricky as it once was. But just think about where, you know, what the subject is for your photos. If you want to shake things up with the subject, so it's not straight bang smack in the center of the photo, you know, put it off to one side or the other, kind of have lines leading toward it. Maybe that's uh, furniture in a house or walls or, uh, you know, something outside buildings. Look, look at the lines going through the photos. And it's there are lots and lots of, of tips that you can you can get, but just sort of think about putting your photo the subject a little bit off center and think about the lines that might draw people's attention to it. Uh, and you know your story that ProRAW isn't perfect. So so what are some of your gripes about it? It's, it's pretty nice and, and I like it. There are a few things I would prefer. The first thing is with Google's approach, it takes both a JPEG and a computational raw photo at the same time. So for each photo, you get two versions of it. And that might be kind of annoying for some people. I actually prefer it because there's sometimes I want one, there's sometimes I want the other. If it's just a you know quick snapshot of something, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I take pictures of documents or Wi-Fi passwords on a piece of paper, or something like that that I'm keeping a record of. I don't need a raw version of that, and the raw files are a lot bigger, so I'll just use the JPEG. And then for the fancy artsy fartsy shot where I want all the exposure control and all the color control, then I'll take the pro raw for that. So I actually prefer Google's approach. Apple is trying to be simpler. They figure people will be wanting one or the other. But this gets to my second complaint, which is that I find it really fiddly switching between pro raw and JPEG on the iPhone. It's the, it, even once you have it enabled, there's a little button that you have to tap and it's, it's hard when it's bright out. If I'm shooting outdoors in the bright sunlight, it's kind of hard to see which mode it's in. I wish that was more obvious. And then a third point, you actually have to go through a second step. If you, once you've enabled ProRAW, there's a second step, which is to leave it enabled by default. So the way Apple uses it, even once you've enabled it, is once you put your camera away, it switches back to JPEG. Well, I want it to stay in ProRAW, and that's a second setting you have to uh, fool around and, and dig out. So that fortunately is changeable. But my biggest complaint is just that it's it's hard for it's hard to see whether it's in pro raw mode or not. And I've bumped it out of pro raw several times and taken JPEGs when I didn't want to. So the user interface still needs some work in my opinion. But I'm very glad that the feature is there. That's great. Well, something to consider for folks who are aspiring to be uh, more ambitious with their photography and but you know don't have a DSLR. So rely on their phone. Thanks, Stephen, for your time. You can check out his story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.